Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Wow. We praise God for that. Thank you, choir. Um, if you've got your Bible today, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 will be beginning in verse 32, reading to verse 38. Today we're going to talk about the cost of forgiveness. The cost of forgiveness. It's good to see each and every one of you here. So uh, as we start our journey, journey toward Easter we also start our journey toward the cross. Uh, so we have been preaching through the book of Luke for a while, long while, um, and uh, we are coming to the cross of Jesus. And here today, we see one of, we're going to address one of these things that Jesus said on the cross. So we're going to look at one very important part of God's salvation through Jesus. Verse 32, are you there? Amen. All right. Now, I want to encourage you, open up a Bible. Grab your Bible, open it up. If you don't have one, there's a black hardback Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Please have your Bible with you. It says, uh, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but he, the rulers scoffed at him. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Verse 36. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Let's pray. Father, speak to us today. May we get a, grab a peek into the glory of the cross of Jesus. May we see what the cross does for us. And may we leave transformed by the blood of the Lamb. We pray in Christ's name and for your glory. And everybody said, Amen. All right. The cost of forgiveness is what we're looking at today. So last week... We looked at how Jesus, on his way to the cross, uh, was burdened with the crossbar, weighing upwards of 75 to 100 pounds. This crossbar, he buckled under the weight, and Simon of Cyrene carried the cross of Jesus all the way to the hill uh, called Golgotha, which is the skull. And there, there Jesus is crucified. Two others were criminals. Verse 32 says, who were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 
And then they cast lots for him and they mocked him and scoffed at him and said, if, if he, saved, or he saved others, let him save himself. And they cast lots for his clothes. And all of that, I read Psalm 22 to show you how Jesus, even in his death, even at the hands of his captors, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures promising a Messiah who would save people from their sin. And Jesus, who seems to be out of control at this moment, who seems to be all of these things are happening to him somehow divinely is in charge of everything going on. That even though he is playing the part of the victim, he is silently behind the scenes guiding and directing all of creation, even the hatred of sinful men, to be directed his way so that he might be the fulfillment of the scriptures. Isn't that good news? And so today we're going to focus on this single phrase that Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. So I want to, as we look at the cost of forgiveness, the first thing I want us to look at is his prayer. Okay, so the forgiveness that he offers, he makes this this prayer. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, I, I want you to just think how incredible this prayer is, that Jesus is here on the cross. And there on the cross, if you would have thought that there was any appropriate time for Jesus to take the focus off of other people... And to put it on himself, this would be the appropriate time, right? But um, Jesus didn't pray prayers like, rescue me, deliver me, save me, help me. But what he did on the cross, from the cross, is still with the heart of God, look out on the very ones mocking him, betraying him, accusing him, scoffing at him, crucifying him, and says, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, no one, if Jesus would have turned his attention to himself, no one would have thought to themselves, how selfish is it for him to be praying that prayer? I mean, look at all of us. Why isn't he praying for us? No one would have put fault on him, would they? But Jesus, in the most intense moment of his entire life, still is praying for people. And Jesus began his prayer pleading for the forgiveness of others. And this is what Jesus does for the crowd. Think about the crowd. Who's in the crowd? The people that just the day before shouted, crucify him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's praying for the crowd. He's praying for the one who's looking on him in faith, and he's also praying specifically for the one who's not looking on him in faith, for the unbeliever, that they might become believers. And I just want you to think about this. He's praying there on the cross for the forgiveness of unbelievers. How much more, church family, If you're a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, how much more does Christ make petitions and prayers for the children of God? How much more does He go to the Father for you and for me if you've trusted in Jesus? Hebrews chapter 7 
verse 25 and 26 says something along the lines of, Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost since he always lives to make intercession for us. And Jesus there on the cross is pleading for the forgiveness of the unbeliever. And right now, for the believer, he's standing at the right hand of God pleading for you and for me. Hey God, the salvation that I accomplished on the cross, would you apply it to the, uh, to the believer today? Yes, they're not perfect. Yes, Father, I know they're knuckleheads. Lord, I've been trying to work with Ryan a long time. we got a long way to go, Lord, I know. But the forgiveness that I accomplished on the cross, apply it to him today. Isn't that good news? That, that Christianity is not about how good you can be, but how much you can be forgiven constantly, consistently, thoroughly, by the blood of Jesus and what he accomplished some 2,000 years ago can still be applied to your life today? Man, that's good news. I want you to look at the recipients who see the prayer. He's offering this great forgiveness. This forgiveness is so incredible. But look who he's offering this prayer on behalf of. You know, it would be appropriate if he looked down to the women. Last week, the women were weeping and mourning as, as, uh, as Simon of Cyrene was carrying the cross. The women were weeping and lamenting. And Jesus looked at them and he said, Don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for judgment's coming for those who reject me. Now, it would be appropriate if Jesus said, Father, you see that group of women who are weeping and mourning for what's happening to me? Would you forgive them of their sin? But that's not who Jesus prays for. He's praying for the crowd. He's praying for those who are audibly, verbally mocking him, insulting him, accusing him. He's praying for the criminals beside him. Isn't that good news? The criminals beside him. He is praying for the murderers crucifying him. He is praying for you and for me. Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How beautiful is the heart of our Savior to plead with the Father, not for His friends, not for the disciples, but for His enemies. How incredible is it that Jesus is pleading for those as He is experiencing tremendous torture. It's incredible, isn't it? His prayer was for the mocker. Now, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher uh, of yesteryear, says like this. He pleads for those that reject his pleadings. Much more for you who prize his pleadings beyond gold. Remember, my dear hearer, if there be nothing good in you, and if there be everything conceivable that's malignant and bad in you, yet none of these things can be any barrier to prevent Christ's exercising the office of intercessor for you. Spurgeon finishes, he says, Sin cannot tie the tongue of our interceding friend. Isn't it good to know that the amount of sin that was being aimed at Jesus that day did not tie his tongue pleading to God on their behalf, that they would be forgiven their ignorance. They don't know what they're doing. 
That's beautiful news, guys. And today, I, I, I just want to remind you, some of us, we came today and we think that our goodness, our moral outstandingness, uh, means that I don't need Christ's forgiveness. And some of you uh, have pride in that way. Your pride says, I don't need Jesus to forgive me. That death wasn't necessary for me. I'm a good person. And I want you to know that your goodness does not hinder God's pleadings for you. Jesus' pleadings for you on the cross. It does not hinder His heart for you. It does not uh, quench any desire to forgive you. And if you came today and you say, God, you can't forgive a sinner like me. If you knew what I did... If you see into my heart, there's no way you could forgive what I've done. I want you to understand today that that is also a kind of pride. And that kind of pride is just as damning as the first kind of pride. They both reject the Savior. One does it because they think they don't need it, and the other does it because they think their sins are too great. And Jesus looks down from the cross to you and to me, whether you think you're good enough or you know that you're not. And he says to you, Father, he pleads to the Father on your behalf, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. I want you to think about who we are in this story. Who are we in this story? Well, can I just be honest? We're not the hero of the story, are we? We're never the hero of the stories in the Bible. Now, Jesus is always the hero. And so that doesn't leave us with good options, does it? All right, we're the ones accusing. We're the ones mocking. We're the ones reviling. We're the ones insulting. Uh, we're the ones crucifying. We're the ones casting lots. We're the ones holding the hammer, nailing the nail. The options aren't good for who we are in this story. And what we need to understand and come to realize today is that, that it, was, it was our hands, essentially, that crucified Jesus. It was us who put Jesus on that cross. It was us who held him there. It was us who nailed that nail. It was us. It was our sins that put him where he is in this passage. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And when he was doing that, he was thinking about the people around him. And then in his, his um, omniscience, his all-knowingness, he was thinking about you and me. I want you to understand that Jesus' prayer didn't get accomplished that day. Here's what I mean. Salvation was finalized and finished on that day, but his prayer wasn't realized that day. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon the early church. And Peter goes from hiding, and the disciples leave the dark upper room, and they burst out into the streets, and they begin preaching the good news. And what happens at the day of Pentecost? Thousands upon thousands of people, 3,000 men, let alone women and children, 3,000 people were added to the number that day. Christ's forgiveness, His prayer was realized that day. And then in Acts chapter 6, 
Acts chapter 6, at the end of verse 7, it says, And a great many priests became obedient to the faith that day. The very ones who agreed to crucify him on that day became obedient to the faith. Christ's prayers were realized later. His salvation was accomplished then, but his prayers were to be realized. And then in Acts chapter 11, or 10 and 11, the gospel goes to the Gentiles, to you and to me. The gospel goes to those who don't deserve it, who are not the people of God. The gospel goes out to people who everybody would least expect, yet that God has a heart to save. Why? Because Jesus had a heart to pray for them there on the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. The cost of forgiveness. I want, we see his prayer. We see the recipients. But I also want you to see the cost. The cost. Look at verse 35. It says, And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. <laughs> Let's see if he can save himself. If he's the Christ of God, if he's his chosen one, let him save himself. The soldiers, verse 36, so mock, also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. But what they didn't understand that day is that if Jesus saved himself, they would immediately be eternally condemned. Well, they didn't understand, they didn't understand what they were asking, what they were saying. Jesus, save yourself. And Jesus was thinking in his mind, if I do, you'll never be saved. If I save me, that means you will never be able to experience the salvation that God can give you. If I rescue me from the cross, you will never be rescued from God's wrath. If, if I come down off the cross, sin will never leave your heart. But if I stay on the cross, and I give myself on the cross, you will have the opportunity to experience salvation. They didn't get it. Jesus was willing to be condemned. He chose to remain on that cross. Don't you remember he said in the garden, if I wanted to rescue myself from this time, don't you think I could call on my Abba Father? Don't you think I could say, Abba, send some legions of angels come down to rescue me. I don't need your swords, Peter. If I wanted to be saved from this hour, I would be. But it's for this hour I've come. He remained, chose to remain on the cross. He chose to keep heaven's armies from coming to his aid. Jesus chose to bear the pain of the nails in his hands and his feet. He chose to allow his body to die. Jesus chose to experience the full weight of the wrath of God. He chose to endure God's cosmic rejection as he hung there on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He chose. Have you ever wondered why God rejected Jesus? Or why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you rejected me? Why have you forsaken me? It's because God did. There on the cross, 
a holy God could not look upon the one who had all of the sins of the world laid upon him. He could not bear to receive that one who bore the burden of the sin of all mankind that day. And so a loving father did what a loving father should not, ought not do. He rejected his own son. He rejected him so that you and I might not ever be rejected. He cast him out so that he might bring us in. The cost of forgiveness is the very life of Jesus, our Savior. But I also want you to hear there's a limit of forgiveness. Follow me. When Jesus died on the cross, one of his last phrases was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The forgiveness of God is universal in that it goes out and is readily available to every person on planet earth in an instant. But there is a limit to his forgiveness in that it is not universally applied to every person on planet earth. Are you with me? It was not universally applied. Otherwise, whether you trust Jesus or didn't trust Jesus, whether you lived like a saint or you lived like a sinner, doesn't matter because the blood of Jesus would be applied to you universally. There is a limit to Jesus' forgiveness. And the limit is the forgiveness of Jesus is only applied to those who by faith look upon their need for a sinner or a savior and say, I am a sinner in great need of a savior. And then they look upon Jesus and say, and he is a great savior for my need. See, the salvation of God is only applied to those who look upon their own need and look upon Jesus who's able to meet it. It's not, it is universally offered, but not universally applied. It's available to you. It's available to every tribe and people and language, from every upbringing and every walk of life, from every economic status. It's available to all. But it's only applied to the one who by faith receives the gift of God's grace. My question, one of my questions for you today is have you acknowledged your need? I didn't ask you, did you get raised in church? Did you get baptized when you were young? Did you go to all the VBSs? Did you get the perfect attendance ribbon at church in RAs or GAs? I didn't ask you that. What I asked you is, have you acknowledged your need for a Savior? And have you acknowledged Jesus as the Savior who's able to meet your need? Have you acknowledged that there is no hope for your forgiveness without trusting in Jesus who offers it? Have you by faith received free gift of salvation. Psalm 32, I think we have this passage up on the screen. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. 
and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The psalmist writes, For when I kept silent, when I hid my sin, in other words, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Then he, he pauses. That's what Salah means. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If, you, if you're out there today and you, you say to yourself, well, I'm fine. I'm better than they are. I'm not a hypocrite like them. Can I just tell you, I woke up this morning and just begged God to forgive my own hypocrisy. Can, can, can I tell you something? I'm preaching a message that I cannot fully live out today. Just wait, you'll understand why. But have... Have you confessed your sin and then God experienced God forgiving you the iniquity of your sin? So I want you to see the cost of His forgiveness. The forgiveness that He offers to you and to me. I also want you to see the example Jesus gives. The example that Jesus gives. Even there on the very cross, on, on, his, on death's door, Jesus is pleading for people. Last week, remember, uh, he's on the way to the cross and the women are weeping and he says, don't weep for me. The tragedy is not mine. The tragedy is yours. The tragedy is for anybody who rejects me. Don't weep for me. There's a judgment coming. And when that judgment comes, that will be a day for weeping. But this is not a day for weeping. Don't weep for me. He's warning them. And even on the cross, he's pleading for them. Should we exist for any other reason than the reason that Jesus existed? Did you catch that? Do, do we exist for any other reason other than to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Jesus existed for other people to come to know Him. Why do we exist? For other people to come to know Jesus. Why does our church exist? It's not so we can gather. It's rather so we can be scattered. It's rather so we can preach the word of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ. That other people might come to know Jesus. Our church exists for the same reason Jesus did. He came to seek and save the lost. That's why we exist. We do not exist for ourselves. The church is the only organization that does not exist for itself. But for those who are not yet a part of it. And in the same way that Jesus left the glories of heaven and the safety of the right hand of God the Father to come among fallen creation, we too must find a way to leave the decencies and the safety of this church building to get out into the community to find prodigal sons and daughters feasting on slop when they're offered a true feast at the right hand of God. I'm burdened with the question, how are we going to reach our community? Lord, show us what you want us to do. Don't let us be safe and secure right here in this building. God, 
empower us and use us, even if that means our dignity is gone and our lives are lost. Use us up for the glory of God among those who don't know Him. This is why we exist. And then I want you to see the power of forgiveness. Have you ever tried forgiving somebody else? Isn't that hard stuff? I've never met a person in my life who said, yeah, this person did me great wrong, and and I, I went to forgive them, and that was really easy. Forgiveness is tough. Have you ever been hurt by someone else? You're not rhetorical. I mean, you don't have to ask or answer out loud, but have you ever been hurt by someone? Intentionally or unintentionally? Are you still carrying around that, that wound? Hurt? I struggle with that. I don't know if you've noticed, but the past two to three years have been tough. The past two to three years... Seems like everybody just wants to fight a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And it's not like a, a, a community of grace everywhere we go, is it? Everybody's pitted against one another and side, this side versus that side, etc., etc. These, these years have been hard. It's, I know it in my own soul, my own spirit, it's hard to forgive. But you know... Forgiveness is still necessary even if it's hard. Do you realize what happens when we don't forgive somebody? What what we invite into our lives? When we harbor unforgiveness, we also invite other things. Anger. Bitterness. Resentment. Anxiety, worry, fear. When we harbor unforgiveness in our heart, we invite it in. We're inviting it in. Unforgiveness is a bitter pill. It's a bitter pill. We think that by choosing not to forgive somebody, we're actually hurting that person. Isn't that what we think? I'm not going to forgive them. They hurt me. And so I'm just, ah, hmm. I'm going to give it right back to them. And we think somehow that we're hurting them by not forgiving them. But who am I actually hurting? Me. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that they die. Ha! Showed you. And gosh, in my own life and in my own heart, when I go through seasons of of time where I, I, I choose not to forgive somebody, I notice all of those things being welcomed in and given space into my life. Anger, bitterness, resentment anxiety, worry, fear, all of those things have a foothold in my life when I choose not to forgive. See, God knew. God knew that the example of Jesus, even when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, let us forgive our our trespasses or our debts, or forgive us our, our trespasses or our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. As we. In the same measure, in the same way, Jesus knew how much we needed to do this. And in unforgiveness, it comes from a root of justice. I just want the wrongdoer to pay. I want God to give them what they deserve. Are you with me? I want you to think about that. 
Does, does that, that thing that I just said, I just want them to pay. I just want them to get what they deserve. I just want them to get what's coming to them. Does that line up with the gospel? Did you get what's coming to you from God? In Jesus, you didn't. We need to forgive and we need our thoughts to align with the gospel's thoughts. And let's just be honest, we, we can't claim to be fully forgiven, yet still be so unwilling to hang or to, to forgive others. And maybe you're like me and you've just felt some days where it's like, God, I don't have it in me. I don't have the strength to forgive them. It's not in me to forgive them. Have you ever felt that way? That's the truest statement that you could say. It's not in you. It's rather in Christ in you. As a Christian, it's the forgiveness that Christ offers to you that empowers you to forgive others. It's His forgiveness being experienced in the depths of your soul that enables you to forgive another wrongdoer. You can't do it. Isn't that good news? You can't. You're right. If you say you can't, you can't. You're too weak. I'm too weak. I'm too frail. I'm too sinful. But Jesus in me can. And when I comprehend the depth of God's grace and forgiveness toward me, when I experience the power of God's forgiveness over my sin, when I realize the cost that Jesus paid to offer this enemy his eternal forgiveness, then and only then do I have any ability to forgive someone when they've wronged me. So what does forgiveness mean? What does it mean for you and for me to forgive like Jesus forgave us? It means to let go of the desire to be vindicated now. It means to let go of the desire for them to be punished now. It means to let them go into the hands of a righteous judge who will offer perfect justice rather than the way that I think justice should be dealt out. It's letting God right the wrong, not me. It's letting God punish the offense, not me. Forgiveness is when I trust that God's ways of dealing with the sinner are far better than my ways of dealing with the sinner. And if we can be real, true forgiveness means that I'm able to pray that that sinner is forgiven. So what do I do? Five really fast steps. What do I do if I'm struggling with forgiveness? Number one, acknowledge the sin. Acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge whatever's happened to you. Acknowledge it. Number two, bring the offender and the offense to God. Bring it to God. Place it at His feet. Place it before His throne. Bring it to God. Three, release the person of their offense to a righteous judge. Release them to Him. It's, it's like a prisoner transfer. Give, give the prisoner over. Give, stop holding them in shackles and let God deal with them. Four, pray for and bless the one who you need to forgive. 
Now, Ryan, I'd have been fine if you stopped at point three, but I don't like point four. But can I just be honest? We, we don't experience what forgiving someone else means until we're able to pray for and bless the offender. And what I don't mean is you need to bless what they've done. I don't mean that you need to approve of what they've done. I don't mean that you need to say, God, I hope that you give them millions of dollars in the life of their dreams. But what it does mean is you say, God, I hope that the greatest blessing that they can experience is your love and your forgiveness that they might not experience the justice that they truly deserve. God, I hope that you don't treat them according to their sins like you treated you don't treat me according to my sins. I hope that they experience your forgiveness too. That's a hard prayer to pray. Step five, repeat. I wish I could say that at step four it was over. All right, did you check all four boxes? Great, you have forgiven them. But can we just be real? That's not the reality, is it? Some of us have been bearing uh, the offense or the offender for a long time. And as hard as we try, we continue to pick up the offense and the wound again. And some of your woundings, some of the sins that have been uh, done against you are such grievous sins that it would be foolish for me to say, yeah, this can happen overnight. (laughs) So that's why five's there. Because when the wound festers again, you know what you need to do? You need to apply the healing balm of God's forgiveness back to the wound one more time. And you need to start all the way back at the beginning. And you need to do it until the pain subsides. Ryan, what if it takes years? It probably will take years. If, if you're as sinful as I am, it might take you longer. Repeat. God's forgiveness is great. And for it, He is greatly to be praised. And we now have a great responsibility to share His forgiveness with others and to extend His forgiveness to others. As we close, I want to pray a prayer. I stole this prayer. Did you know that? But it was perfect. Uh, Rick Warren wrote it down. If you're not a big fan of Rick Warren, don't, don't miss the point, okay? Just listen to the prayer. Okay? I'm going to ask you to pray with me as I pray. Would you pray? Father, only you understand how much I've been hurt by this person. I don't want to carry the pain for another second. I don't want to be a bitter person. But I need your grace and the power of the cross to release my hurt and to forgive those who have hurt me. This is the turning point. First, God, I need to experience your forgiveness. You know all the ways that I've hurt others and all the ways that I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for my sins. 
Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I accept your grace and forgiveness and I need it daily. Today I'm turning to you. I'm choosing to forgive like you've forgiven me. Every time the memory comes back, I'll forgive that person again until the pain is gone. Heal my heart with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to stand together and we're going to worship.